thoughts to the church this morning that I had uh, really, um, I guess, uh, piggybacking off of last Sunday's sermon without trying to be too repetitive. If you weren't here and you didn't hear the message, we talked about greatness. We spent a great deal uh, in John chapter 13, um, and we drew some distinctions, if you would, between how the world sees or views or defines greatness and how the scripture defines it. And hopefully uh, you, as I did, uh, felt those differences as well as saw those. I think it's important to not just see Scripture and let our minds kind of go there. But I I do think that there is a part of Scripture where we can actually feel uh, the weight of, well, in this case, Jesus' words. And, And just kind of meditating on John chapter 13 or really any Scripture it can be really transformative. I mean, the scripture has a way in really doing exactly what the writer of Hebrews said. It has a way of really dividing between what is true and what is false in our lives and really shining a light on truth uh, and Jesus' perspective. How many know that Jesus has a perspective? He has a feeling. He has a thought about many things. And a lot of times, um, his thoughts are not our thoughts. A lot of times, his ways are not our ways, right? I mean, he really does stand in a category of his own. I like that about Jesus. May upset a couple of us here today that Jesus may not think like you, talk like you, act like you, or even whatever. I won't say that last thing. Um, but it's true. He is on a platform of his own. He is, his thoughts are so vastly different than ours. And I, I'm actually grateful for that. So I want to get into some of the thoughts of Jesus this morning about greatness. Um, and today we're going to use the same story, but we're going to actually be in the Gospel of Luke Uh, chapter 22. You can turn there. Um, In Luke chapter 22, uh, an incident occurs, you may be familiar with it, in which the disciples are arguing among themselves concerning who is the greatest. Interesting conversation, seeing how Jesus is there. I wonder wonder at what point that that kick in and and like register. Wait, hold on one second. Um, But Christ is there, and And in typical Christ-like fashion and form, what does he do? He uses this as an opportunity. He uses this as a means to share, to speak, and to model both humility and servanthood. Not only does Jesus model humility and servanthood for his disciples, he also defines the terms of which one's greatness is measured by. Luke chapter 22, 27, for example, says this, For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Question mark. There's a question mark. Now, culturally speaking, those who are reclining would have been viewed as many or those who are witnessing uh, as the ones who are actually of rapport. They were actually of, you know, somewhat some status. They were the important ones. But Jesus is saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm great, right? Like, I mean, you think about it. I've been given the name above all names. I mean, he's not saying this, but you imagine, like, this is what's going through his brain. It's like, you know, like, I mean, my, my father's God. Which one of you can say that? You know, which one? <laughs> you know, but, he, but he's not reclining. He's actually serving. He's great. He's great. Jesus is at the table. And he uh, is the greatest among these people. He, he, he's, he's been given the name above every name, as was mentioned. And he's at work serving his disciples. That's crazy to me. I don't want to be uh, repeating my sermon, but I find that extraordinary that the creator, right? The creator, God in his son Jesus is serving the creation. 
blows my mind. Again, I wonder at what point did the disciples pick up on the absurdity uh, of their disputes concerning status? I mean, at what point does this start to register that Jesus, the greatest name, (laughs) the greatest person ever to walk, the one in whom John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he may increase. I mean, John the Baptist, he was a man of stature. Jesus said some pretty profound things about John the Baptist and his greatness. But here he is, John the Baptist saying, no, 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 I must lower myself that Christ might be lifted. Last Sunday I made the statement, and I imagine it took a couple of you who were here off guard, but I made the statement that Jesus is looking for a workforce. I got a mmm. That's better than last Sunday. You could have heard a dime drop on the floor. It's so quiet. But I really believe this. Now, let me, let me, let me, for all you who are like, what in your emotions? Listen, I, I, that's not all that Jesus is looking for, but it's part of what Christ is looking for. And I'd like to suss out some thoughts on why I believe that that statement is true and reflected in Scripture. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And before we get there, if I could, I'd like to draw your attention to the preceding chapter, um, 8, um, which I'm, I hope to kind of use as setting some context, if you would, and some insight on what's happening in the ministry of Jesus prior to Matthew chapter 9. So in essence, I'm saying prior to the statement he makes in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, I believe, um, I want us to just take in, if you would, all the things that were happening prior to this statement. Let's start. And, and mind you, I'm only starting in chapter 8. We could go all the way back to 5, if we would, or we had the time, and we could see some of the same kind of heart and tone, background, things that are going on. But let's just go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to just state a couple obvious facts, right? In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, Jesus starts off by what? Healing a leper. A leper is healed. Then in Matthew 8, 5 through 13, Jesus heals a paralyzed servant of a centurion soldier. Uh, he performs this miracle without even being in the same proximity of this guy. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, he's, he's just talking to the centurion man. And, you know, by this guy's, by this soldier's faith, that servant is healed. I, I mean, that's just, that's, that's rock star if you ask me. Matthew chapter 8, 14 through 17, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law um, who was uh, sick with a fever. And as a result of the miracles that happened prior to this healing of Peter's mom being healed by a fever, of a fever, excuse me, um, the surrounding towns and homes started gathering uh, to Jesus. People were bringing their sick and their demonically um, uh, oppressed to Jesus. And Matthew says that many, as a result of this, many were healed and many were delivered. And then just go down a little further. In, uh, same chapter, 18 through 27, this is where Jesus, what? He calms the storm. So not only does Jesus have authority over sickness, not only does Jesus have the authority to cast out demons, but he also has authority over nature. I mean, Hebrew rock star, right? At this point, I mean, this guy is a bona fide Scott Stapp. If you don't know who Scott Stapp is, I'm sorry. I'm kind of dating myself. You ever heard the band Creed? Raise your hand if you have. Don't do it. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, But he is a Hebrew rock star. Um, He calms the storm, showing that he has authority over nature, but he also calms the fickle, faithless, fearful hearts of his disciples, right? I mean, because they're like freaking out. They're like, oh my God, we're about ready to die. 
You know, Jesus is asleep, it says, on a pillow. I mean, how bad could this storm be? But anyways, the disciples were in panic, and Jesus calmed their hearts as well by calming the storm. And then in Matthew chapter 8, 28 through 34, Jesus casts out two demons out of two men, separate occasions. Now we fast track to Matthew 9, 1 through 34, where we see Jesus heals someone who is paralyzed, restores a young lady back to life, and healed a woman with a blood issue that she had suffered with for over 12 years. He uh, heals two blind men, and to top it off, if that's not enough for you, he just happens to make a mute man speak again. I mean, again, I mean, how, how cool is Jesus? And, and I'm, I imagine, I mean, you know, he's, he's God, right? I mean, he is God as the son of Christ. He's both, you know, human and he's both divine. But I imagine in his humanity, this might be a little taxing. Again, I'm only bringing chapter 8 and 9 into focus. We could go all the way back to 5 and see some of these same uh, occasions and same works that Jesus performing, same miracles all throughout those chapters. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus must be kind of weary by now. He must be, I mean, I know how I get after, you know, this service. I'm like, oh, cast me in. Where's, I want Chipotle, you know, where? What's going on? I'm like tired. I can't think straight. I can't talk straight. I mean, I have a hard enough time doing that without doing service. But in, in chapters 8 or 9, 8 and 9, excuse me, Jesus covers a lot of ground. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot of needs. And we've talken, t- taken sorry, an awful lot of time in talking about needs from the book of Acts uh, to today, to last week, we've been talking about the needs of people and how we can best serve them. How Jesus, you know, he's God, right? But yet he is about ready to invite his friends into his mission. And his mission is meeting the needs of these people. So, actually, we could say that Matthew nine thirty-seven through 38 serves as a summary. Now, listen up serves as a summary that bridges together all the accounts of Jesus' ministry. The needs that existed in chapters 5 through 9 were great. In other words, chapters 5 through 9 of Matthew's gospel lay out a laundry list, a laundry list that Jesus encounters, needs that he encounters and meets. So when Jesus makes the observations, friend, that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, he really, really, really means it. The needs are great in the onset of Jesus' ministry. And you know what's so cool about Jesus? Jesus is fixed on meeting those needs. He is fixed on meeting, meeting those needs. Um, you know, if you could, if you would, you could think about nine, you could think about Matthew 9, chapter 37. Uh, that, that Christ works to make it clear that the needs surrounding Jesus at this time are great, for him to meet alone would be somewhat unrealistic. So he calls upon his followers in Matthew 9, 37 for help. In other words, God is hiring. God is hiring. He has put up the help wanted signs, if you would. Jesus wants to employ in Matthew chapter 9, 37, a workforce who will care for the needs of people, who will shepherd those people as well. The word works 
or laborers in 937, Matthew 937, simply means a workman, a laborer, right? Obvious. But where it changes is uh, in, in, the, in the Greek meaning, excuse me, or the definition, the Greek definition is one who works for hire. Jesus is essentially, he's hiring people. He's, and, and, and there's not many who want this job, right? There, there's, not, there's not a lot who are like, yeah, sign me up, Jesus. It doesn't pay good, right? I mean, you know, it's not attractive if you're looking to have, you know, the typical Western life with a white picket fence, you know, two cars and some toys. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't pay well. Jesus says that the harvest is great. The needs of the people are great, in essence, is what Christ is saying. The needs are great, and the workers are few. And can I just say in 2018, there's some similarities here in the church today. There's a, there exists before us, Hilltop Church, great needs. But I, like Jesus, would probably take the side of Jesus here and say, the workers are few. Where are the workers? where Jesus is saying, oh, pray, pray for workers, pray to God, the Lord of this harvest, that he would inspire others to work this harvest field. Just in case you think I'm exaggerating, look at Luke chapter 22, verse 36, right? This is what Jesus sees before he makes the statement in verse 36. When he, Jesus, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, what? He had compassion for them because they were a harassed and helpless people. <laughs> it don't get any worse than that. Helpless and harassed. And then he goes on to say, like a sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what, you know what I've come to understand now, five years plus, in pastoring? There is a lot. Essentially, my job description, description simply requires from me to take responsibility for others, to actually shepherd them. A lot happens from up here, preaching now, but a lot happens behind closed doors. I can't help but think we kind of shut down when it comes to actually caring for people like that because I'm not the only one called to shepherd people. I may be the pastor in the sense that, um, you know, you, you look to me as the lead pastor, you know, the kind of guy who's leading this ship. But as, in a sense, by Jesus' call in Matthew 9, 37, he really inducts, if you would, all his disciples into what? Shepherding. Taking responsibility for the harassed and the helpless. That's what Jesus does. But you know what? I found an interesting fact about Jesus' disciples that even, I guess, encouraged me more that I'm on the right track here with looking at Matthew 9, 37. You know that, you, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this, but do you know that often in scriptures the disciples were put off and overwhelmed by people? Do, 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 turn with me to Matthew 14, 15 through 16. Here's an, just one of the occasions in where it seemed as though... Uh, Jesus' friends, his 12, and maybe some of the followers of Christ were a bit put off, maybe overwhelmed, I don't know, but here it is, Matthew chapter 14, I submit to you two verses here, 15 and 16, it says this, now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him, him being Jesus, and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over, send these crowds away, let this sink in for a little bit, 
It sounds logical, right? I mean, it's the end of the day, right? I mean, we've done our work, Jesus. I mean, you know, we have been busy in this field, and now what? We're tired. Send them away. Send these crowds away to go into the villages and buy foods for themselves. And then in great, typical Jesus-like fashion, he says this. They need not to go away. I can imagine the guys like, oh my God, kidding me. They need not to go away. Give them something to eat. When Jesus says this, there's only a certain amount of fish and bread. There's thousands of people And I'm sure the disciples are like, what is going to happen here? And I'm sure that even their lack of resources uh, encouraged them to just say, listen, Jesus, could they follow you? They listen to you. Send them away. We don't want to be bothered. We don't even have the resources to take care of them. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. And what did he say? He said, he didn't say, they need not to go away. I'll give them something to eat. Come on now, church. Oh, you thought, uh, you thought Jesus was just going to take responsibility and just be like, uh, uh, you know, he ends up taking responsibility. But he charges them. He said, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. You know, there's so much. There's, listen, the church is in an interesting state right now. I'm speaking to Hilltop and other churches. I, mean, I have the luxury of meeting with pastors all throughout Cambridge, You know, I have many relationships in the city, and I can't help but notice this this overwhelming kind of sense in the majority of pastors where it just feels like they're left to just do it all, meet all the needs, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. But yet, that is so contrary to Scripture. See, Jesus right here invites us all in to working out and meeting the needs of people, right? You can, you can almost sympathize a little bit with the disciples, right? It's late in the day, God. Give us a break. Our feet, they hurt. We don't even have the resources. Send them away. Jesus sees something different than the disciples. And still, and still among us, guys, even this morning, Jesus sees something different. He, he sees people who need their, need, have great needs and need those needs met through his people. It, it doesn't happen by a light switch. It doesn't happen by just suddenly. We, it happens in, in a similar way and fashion like it did in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God comes upon people. Oh, and they're just, the, the one kind of characteristic of God resting on that people is their hearts start turning to one another. What, what do you need? What, what do you mean? You, you, you have no money. You have no food. And God starts meeting the needs of others in that community. And can I just daringly say that God still meets people the same way, the same fashion. And what he did here in the Gospels, what he did through Acts and the Epistles, he, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does that mean, friends? In order to meet the great needs of our community... It's going to take a great number of people. It's going to take a great number of volunteers, so to speak. That's an that's a interesting verse that we often pray in the prayer room, like Psalms 110, verse 3. And if you've never visited the prayer room, we pray that scripture a lot. 
Thy youth shall, what, volunteer themselves? You know what, laborers? I used to be a laborer. It, laborer. It is not a pretty job. It's not really a job. You're, you're left. You're, you're kind of left with the jobs that nobody else wants to do. So not only does Jesus recruit his, his, uh, his workforce, he also, I, in a way, brings them down to such a, I, well, I believe, such a state that he was in when he was washing the feet of his disciples, a slave. <laughs> There's nothing glamorous about this. But the reward is, is that our greatness, the way Jesus, the kingdom of God, sees the greatness of a man or a woman is in the way that he serves or she serves. And that, that can translate into all sorts. Listen, I'm not just trying to toot, you know, hilltops horn and recruit a bunch of new volunteers, although that would be nice and there's plenty of room for it. Listen, today's a day you want to be a volunteer. Because we all going to party. There's like 80 of us. We're going to party together. We're going to eat Chipotle and, and, and just have a grand old time. And the way that you're able to do that with us is to become one of us. And, and no, the, the great thing about the kingdom of God is nobody's exempt from volunteer work. I, I'm not exempt just because I'm the pastor. Some of you guys know I'm here every Sunday after Sunday throwing in. Why? It's not because I really even care about the mission and the vision of this church, although that's some. It's because I've seen truth in the scriptures that a man's greatness is not measured by the way he can articulate a message, the way that he can speak the word of the Lord, the way that he could uh, preach, the way that he could maybe perform signs and wonders. It's not really even that of what measures the greatness of a man. And, And in my heart I'm thinking, oh, if Jesus can do it. The interesting thing is that Jesus saw the same crowd approaching them that Jesus saw that day in both occasions, in Matthew chapter 9, 36, and in Matthew 14, but in both cases, Jesus saw crowds differently. He had a set of eyes of which the disciples didn't, and he saw them through the lens of compassion. He he saw them through the lens of his heart being turned towards them. He was what? That's what Matthew says. He was filled. That's what Luke says. He was filled with compassion. And I imagine that compassion overwhelmed him. Let me close with this, and I am right on time. Now, don't leave yet, because I'm about ready to really bring it home. And you know what? Here's the thing. I'm I'm not even going to work hard at this, because Jesus already brings it home. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. 30 through 36, you may be familiar with the story. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I don't even think I have to read it, honestly. The Good Samaritan, right? Here it is in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. By chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on to the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, I mean that, verses 30 through 33 is, wow, is you, you know, you got these, Jewish 
Levite and priests passing by him and a Samaritan of which, you know, there was so much conflict between, you know, people who weren't Jews at the moment, right? Because they're not God's people and they're looked down to. But this Samaritan, this kind of unlikely hero emerges. And as he was journeying, Jesus said he came and he saw um, um, he saw him. He, he, was, he had compassion. It's almost like Jesus is talking about himself. He had compassion. Who, who else do we see in Scripture have compassion when he sees the needs of people? Jesus. Who's the good Samaritan? Jesus. He went down to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out uh, a, a denarius and gave that innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, I want to draw our attention off the robber and the beating. And I want to look at the actions of a Samaritan person who chose not to just walk by and like the Levite and like the priest, ignore the man, ignore. And let's, 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 let's just take the man out of the picture. Just remove it for a second. Just the Samaritan didn't ignore the need because that's ultimately what the priest and the Levite did. They ignored the need that existed. And here Jesus is saying to us that we are to be like the good Samaritan. We are to be the people who can acknowledge, who can see the need, and much like in the same heart, in the same focus and tenacity, meet those needs like they did in the book of Acts. Can I ask everyone here an honest question to, to this morning? I was almost going to say tonight. Sorry about that. Jumping ahead of myself. And this is an honest question. This is a question that I've asked myself many times when I've come at the end of my rope, when I feel overwhelmed, and yes, dare I say, even a little burnt out. You know, pastors get burnt out too. But my, my charge to us this morning is, what is overwhelming you today? Because, because I really do think the thing that keeps us from seeing needs is us personally being overwhelmed by maybe the challenges of life, maybe our focuses of life or in life. But what is overwhelming you today? What, what keeps you today, if you're numbered among us, from really just ex excelling and, and, and kind of signing up to be a worker, so to speak, in Jesus' kingdom? Uh, are you overwhelmed by the needs of others when they supersede things that you cannot provide uh, in your own kind of strength and resources? What's preoccupying your time? Can, can, I, can I, an honest question, what, what is preoccupying your time? What is, what, is, what, is, what is preoccupying you being able to be available? What distractions, what lesser things are keeping you busy from seeing the needs of others and doing nothing about them? Am I the only one that have been, has ever been guilty of that? I, I, I'd like to think, and I kind of live by the scripture that says, all things are common among the brethren. So 
I see this in this light, that if I have struggled with it, if I have had a hard time in trying to put the needs of others even before my own, then I imagine there's a whole number of us who struggle with the same thing. And can I just submit to you in closing that Jesus is looking for the same thing that he was looking for in the Gospel of Matthew. He is looking for laborers. He is, he is still seeing a massive harvest field, and he's saying, who will work this field? So lucky, luckily for us, Hilltop Church, we have numbers of way, ways, excuse me, you can get involved with laboring in this field. And I, I get it, like, this message is just not about church and trying to organize, you know, more volunteers, although that would be great, as I said earlier. More so, this message is to call you to action. You see, that's what was so beautiful about Jesus. When others around him wanted to check out and be overwhelmed, Jesus said, no, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to take action. Church, that same opportunity is before us today, even now. If you're interested in volunteering, getting more connected to this church again, we would send you over to the info center. There are some ladies and gentlemen over there that would like to take your information and sign you up to start giving yourself freely to the Lord's work in this house. Start there. At this time, I'm going to turn over the microphone to John Cho. I love you guys. Look forward to being with you next Sunday. Hopefully this wasn't too awkward of a transition, but nevertheless, it's the one we're settled on. John, will you come? Friends, will you put your hands together for John Cho? Just a few quick announcements. So uh, first of all, if you are new here today, I met just a couple of new people already this morning. Uh, we're, we're so excited that you're here, and we want you to connect with us. There's going to be kind of a scramble as we get the, the table set up for the volunteer meeting. But don't get caught up in that scramble. Just head over to the info center. You can sign up to volunteer. I think Miriam's over there, uh, and you can get connected to community groups. And you, you can also get one of our free gifts. Uh, it's a nice hilltop mug. Uh, my wife and I use those as our solitary coffee mugs. Uh, but the second thing is um, <clears throat> we do have our volunteer uh, meeting uh, right after service. So in about 15 minutes, so let's just say 11.50, uh, we're going to start the meeting. And so what's going to happen is uh, we're going to kind of clear the chairs. So it, right after uh, I finish speaking, if you could just kind of grab all your stuff and, and bring it to the side so that we can kind of uh, split the chairs. We're going to set up tables. And uh, we will have food, but this is uh, just for our volunteers because, you know, we, we are doing some volunteer training. And so we're not trying to be exclusive, but it's just we want to provide lunch for those that did sit and, and ha uh, go through the training. And so if you are a volunteer and you are sort of RSVP'd and you are attending the meeting, um, stick around. We'll have lunch together. Um, but other than that, uh, thank you all so much for coming out uh, today, uh, and enjoy the rest of a beautiful Sunday. So, yeah, let's go.